Section twenty one of Old and New Masters by Robert Lind. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rossetti and Ritual. Rossetti's great gift to his time was a gift of beauty, of beauty to be worshipped in the sacred hush of a temple. His work is not richer in the essentials of beauty than Browning's. It is not, indeed, nearly so rich. But, while Browning served beauty joyously, a god in a firmament of gods, Rossetti burned a lonely candle to it as to the only true god. To Browning, the temple of beauty was but a house in a living world. To Rossetti, the world outside the temple was, for the most part, a dead world. Jenny, May, seemed to stand in vivid contradiction of this but jenny was an exception excursion into life and hardly expresses the rossetti that was a power in art and literature him we find best perhaps in the blessed damozel written when he was little more than a boy and this is not surprising for the arrogant love of beauty out of which the aesthetic sort of art and literature has been born is essentially a boy's love poets who are sick with this passion must either die young like keats or survive merely to echo their younger selves like swinburne they are splendid in youth like Aucassin, whose swooning passion for nicolette is symbolical of their almost painful desire of beauty in hand and soul rossetti tells us of chiaro dell'erma that he would feel faint in sunsets and at the sight of stately persons Keats' odes expressed the same ecstasy of faintness, and Rossetti himself was obviously a close nineteenth-century counterpart of Chiaro, even when he troubles about the soul, and he constantly troubles about it. He never seems to be able altogether to escape out of what may be called the higher sensationalism into genuine mysticism. His work is earth-born. It is rich in earthly desire his symbols were not wings to enable the soul to escape into a divine world of beauty they were the playthings of a grown man love for their alf beauty more than for any beauty they could help the spirit to reach rossetti belongs to the ornamental school of poetry he writes more like a man who has gone into a library than like one who has gone out to nature and ornamentalism in poetry is simply the result of seeing life not directly but through the colored glass of literature and the other arts Rossetti was a forerunner of all those artists and authors of recent times, who in greater or less degree looked on art as a weaving of patterns, an arrangement of wonderful words and sounds and colors. Pater in his early writings, William Morris, Oscar Wilde, and all those others who dreamed that it was the artist's province to enrich the world with beautiful furniture, for conduct itself seemed, in the philosophy of these writers, to aspire after the quality of tapestry, are implicit in the blessed damozel and troytown it is not that rossetti could command words like pater or wilde his phrasing if personal is curiously empty of the graces he often does achieve graces of phrase but some of his most haunting poems owe their power over to us their general pattern and not to any persistent fine workmanship how beautiful troytown is for instance and yet how lacking in beautiful verses the poet was easily content in his choice of words who could leave a verse like venus looked on helen's gift o oh, troy town looked and smiled with subtle drift saw the work of her heart's desire there thou kneel'st for love to lift o oh, troy's down 
Taltroy's on fire. Rossetti never wrote a poem that was fine throughout. There is nothing to correspond to the Skylark, or the Ode to a Grecian Urn, or Child Roland, or to the Dark Tower Came in his work. The truth is, he was not a great poet, because he was not a singer. He was capable of decorations in verse, but he was not capable of song. His sonnets, it may be argued, are more than decorations, but even they are laden with beauty. They are never, as it were, light and alight with it, as are shall I compare thee to a summer's day, and where lies the land to which yon ship must go. They have flagging pulses like desire itself, and are often weary before the fourteenth line. Only rarely do we get a last six lines like, O oh, love, my love, if I no more should see thyself nor on the earth the shadow of thee, nor image of thine eyes in any spring, how then should sound upon life's darkening slope the ground whirl of the perished leaves of hope, the wind of death's imperishable wing? And beautiful as this is, is not the imagery of the closing lines a little more deliberate than we are conscious of in the great work of the great singers? One never feels that the leaves and the winds in themselves were sufficiently full of meaning and delight for Rossetti. He loved them as pictorial properties, as a designer rather than a poet loves them. In his use of the very mysteries of Christianity, he is intoxicated chiefly by the beauty of the designs by which the painters have expressed their vision of religion. His ave is a praise of the beauty of art more than a praise of the beauty of divinity in it we are told how on the eve of the annunciation far off the trees were as pale wands against the fervid sky the sea sighed further off eternally as human sorrow sighs in sleep the poem is not a hymn but a decorated theme and yet there is a sincere vain longing running through rossetti's work that keeps it from being artificial or pretentious this was no less real for being vague. His work is an attempt to satisfy his vain longing with rites of words and color. He always sought to bring peace to his soul by means of ritual. When he was dying, he was anxious to see a confessor. I can make nothing of Christianity, he said, but I only want a confessor to give me absolution for my sins. That was typical of his attitude to life. He loved its ceremonies more, at least more vividly, then he loved its soul. One is never done hearing about his demand for fundamental brainwork in art, but his own poetry is poor enough in brainwork. It is the poetry of one who, like Keats, hungered for a life of sensations rather than of thoughts. It is the poetry of grief, of regret, the grief and regret of one who was a master of sensuous beauty and who reveals sensuous beauty rather than any deeper secret, even in touching spiritual themes. Poetry with him is a dyed and embroidered garment, which weighs the spirit down rather than winged sandals like Shelley's, which set the spirit free. Yet his influence on art and literature has been immense. He, far more than Keats or Swinburne, was a prophet of that ritualism which has been a dominant characteristic in modern poetry, whether it is the pagan ritualism of Mr. Yeats or the Catholic ritualism of Francis Thompson. One need not believe that he was an important direct influence on either of these poets, but his work as a poet and painter prepared the world for ritualism in literature. 
no doubt the medievalism of scott and the decorative imagination of keats were also largely responsible for the change in the literary atmosphere but rossetti was more distinctively a symbolist and ritualist than any other english man of letters who lived in the early or middle part of the nineteenth century people used to debate whether he was greater as a painter or as a poet and he was not always sure himself when however he said to burne jones in eighteen fifty seven if any man has any poetry in him he should paint for it has all been said and written and they have scarcely begun to paint it he gave convincing proof that painting and not poetry was his essential gift he may be denounced for his bad drawing and twenty other faults as an artist but it is his paintings that show him as a discoverer and a man of high genius at the same time how well he can also paint in verse as in those ever-moving lines on jenny's wanderings in the haymarket jenny you know the city now a child can tell the tale there how some things which are not yet enrolled in market lists are bought and sold even till the early sunday light when saturday night is market night everywhere be it dry or wet and market night in the haymarket our learned london children know poor jenny all your pride and woe have seen your lifted silken skirt advertise dainties through the dirt have seen your coach wheel splash rebuke on virtue and have learned your look when wealth and health slip past you stare along the streets alone and there round the long park across the bridge the cold lamps at the pavement's edge wind on together and apart a fiery serpent from your heart in most of his poems unfortunately the design as a whole rambles his imagination worked best when limited by the four sides of a canvas end of section twenty one read by ginger cuckolo